and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Welcome to episode 21. I'm recording this on the 12th of February 2020 and the coronavirus continues to dominate the headlines. Our thoughts are with all those affected. We're seeing more stories of how the knock-on effects of the coronavirus are disrupting businesses. A timely reminder of how modern supply chains are intricate, international and interlinked. My latest blog explains how circular economy approaches can mitigate against supply chain risk, avoiding the need to depend on specialist overseas resources and low-cost manufacturing. In episode 20, we looked at how to become a problem hunter, and I mentioned a brilliant book by Beck Evans called How to Have a Happy Hustle, The Complete Guide to Making Your Ideas Happen. Beck has very kindly offered a copy of the book to give away. So here's how to win. Leave a review on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Take a screenshot and email it to hello at rethinkglobal.info. The closing date is the 28th of February. I'll select one of the entries at random and the winner will receive How to Have a Happy Hustle as an e-book. In today's episode, I'm talking to Tom Ogenek, co-CEO of Close the Loop Inc., Tom joined Close the Loop in 2011 and oversees all aspects of global operations, building on a background in chemistry and manufacturing. And using his environmental industry perspective, plus over 20 years of valuable operations experience to drive the business forward. Close the Loop make it easy to take back, recover and reuse your high value products so they don't end up in rivers, landfills or on someone else's assembly line. So, Tom, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. And where are you dialing in from today? Dialing in from beautiful Hebron, Kentucky, which is right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, in, in the U.S. of A. Great stuff. And thanks for joining us from there and with a few hours time difference. So perhaps we can start by asking how you came to join Close the Loop. What was your background before that? And because you've been there quite a long time now. Yeah, I, uh, I started in chemistry as a uh, approval chemist in an environmental company. Um, I'd, I'd gotten an interest in plastic manufacturing. Uh, it, it was a, a good marriage between manufacturing and my chemistry background. So I, I went and took some classes and, and got involved with a, a plastic recovery facility um, and uh, really enjoyed taking material that people saw as as waste and turning it into useful products uh, worked worked for a bit 
as a, a manager of an injection molding company using solely recycled plastic and, and found a home at Closer Loop. Right. So that must have been in the very early days of people getting interested in turning waste back into a useful resource. Yeah, you know, it started with uh, industrial waste. Certainly when you have uh, um, post-industrial plastic that's coming off of, of presses uh, in, in the form of purge or sprues and runners, you can do a size reduction and put that right back into a product. Well, now, we, now we're looking more into post-consumer. It's more interesting for me. It's, it's more challenging. Uh, so that's what I enjoy about it. Great stuff. And you joined Close the Loop and what kind of problems was closed close the loop solving back then but um i started as a materials manager at close the loop uh trying to develop the output um solutions for the materials that were coming through the lines uh you know I, at the end of the day close the loop is really about uh providing sustainable solutions for our partners and in that the the highest our hierarchy is reuse uh but there's this back end, you have to do the recycling, you have to recover the, the resources. Uh, with a zero waste landfill commitment at Close the Loop, everything has to go somewhere. Um, waste energy is a cost. It's the, it's the lowest outcome for uh, a resource. Uh, once it's burned, it's gone. So for us, it's about developing that back end. And that's what I came to Close the Loop to do, which was about recovering the plastic, recovering the metal, recovering the toner, um, and, and breaking those cartridges down to base components uh, mm. to then, then uh, reuse in other applications. Mm. So Close the Loop works with quite a few electronics manu manufacturers recycling and recovering their cartridges and then um, remaking them, most of them, before they come to the end of life. Is that right? That's right. Uh, Close Loop started about 17, 18 years ago. Uh, an entrepreneur named Steve Morris out of Australia had wanted to have a competitive advantage against print consumable suppliers. And so he offered to start taking cartridges back uh, from his customers. And, and in short order, he ended up with a warehouse full of cartridges and said, boy, I better do something with these. So it was it was born as a as a recycling you know getting these cartridges out of the mainstream getting them out of remanufacturing to really adding value to these collection programs um moved to the u.s about 11 years ago um working with partners such as lexmark xerox hp etc all the all the major print consumable manufacturers so do you do the logistics of the collection in-house or do you work with a range of logistics partners to get the cartridges back to your sites we we work with a range uh, we we offer that as a service but but we don't own our own infrastructure for trucking etc but uh you know there there are plenty of uh, logistics providers that that do a really good job it's really about coordinating with them to to provide us with that that collection program. Mm. We, we do most, uh, the collection programs will help design um, and, and show the, our partners what are the ins and outs of certain strategies around their collection programs. Mm. And are, my, are most manufacturers op offering collection as a, as a kind of um, an optional facility or is it becoming more integrated as a, as a swap out? You know, you order a new, a new toner and we'll automatically pick the the old one up when we when we deliver the new one. How does it work? 
It, it is optional. Uh, certainly the, in the U.S., it's, it's a voluntary program. Um, in Australia, it's a voluntary program. Uh, Europe is, is getting a bit more legislation around it. Um, still, you know, there's still some, uh, it's a different dynamic. So we have, we have different interactions with our partners uh, globally. But uh, in the U.S., it's, it's a voluntary program. But the OEMs, um, our partners, are, are able to inspire their customers to, to then send those back. Mm. And what's, what's the benefit for the electronics manufacturer, the brand, in getting the products back? You know, why, why did they start doing this so long ago? I, be, I believe the the manufacturers started doing this as, as a defensive response to the remanufacturers. Um, but since then, it, it has developed more into a, how do we get value out of these? It's, it's expected from customers. Um, it, it's a bad PR to have uh, cartridges sitting in landfills and, and people taking videos of that. So it, it's become more about, hey, we have sustainability goals. We want to engage in the circular economy. How do we keep getting more and more value out of these return programs? And that's what Closed Loop does. We, we try to mine the value, show them where the value it is. It's not just a marketing ploy, but it, it's about value added processes uh, to engage in the circular economy. Mm. And when you when you talk about um, competing against the remanufacturers, are you talking about the sort of grey label refillable cartridge uh, offer? Where, um, as I understand it, um, you know, um, unbranded or or kind of um, um, independent brands would get hold of high-end brand color car uh, toner cartridges refill them and then sell them as a lower cost alternative is that what they were competing against sort of making sure they were taking those used cartridges off the market that's right um so that was taking a lot of a lot of value out of them selling the original equipment so once once people are buying a, a uh, remanufactured, they're not going to go back to a Xerox, for instance, and buy a, a virgin product because at the end of the day, it costs more. So to me, from a competition standpoint, now they all work with remanufacturers. They do their own remanufacturing as well. And I, I think that that's a really good story mm. and it's really good for the environment. So there's nothing wrong with remanufacturing. Yeah. So I guess it goes back to something I, I started talking about in the second edition of the book in terms of when you're thinking about your business model, you need to be careful not to leave value on the table for somebody else. And maybe that's what they realized they were doing. But by putting high quality toner cartridges onto the market that were capable of being refilled several times and not collecting them back themselves, they were leaving all that value in the in the materials and the um, you know the the well thought through design that made it able to be refilled. They were leaving that on the table for all these third party manufacturers to just pick up and and uh, do something with. That's right, uh, and some of our partners really value their collection programs and the ability to remanufacture their own cartridges mm. uh which is which is great uh, we've we do um we do cleaning we've we've spent money on infrastructure to to help them realize that um but it's at the end of the day it's got to make financial sense for for both mm. parties so it they're good programs they're they're great for the environment but they're also good financially 
for sure. our customers and sure. partners. So are you seeing an increase in uptake of returning the cartridges from customers? Is, is there still good momentum there? Again, in the U.S., it's a it's a voluntary program. So there are some of our partners um, are a reluctant buyer of our services. Um, they they want to check a box, and and so it it's they're not really pushing that. Other of our partners are extremely engaged in trying to get as much back. You have to do it financially sound, right? Mm. It, it has to be it has to be viable from a from a financial and collection standpoint, it gets very pricey to return one cartridge through a UPS or a FedEx or USPS. So, um, and and that's where we have differences in each geography. In in Australia, we've designed a collection program that's that's uh, multiple OEM sponsored. So the the collection box sits there, and and they all of the cartridges get aggregated at the collection site and then sent um, in bulk. And I, when I say in bulk, you know, it's actually multiple units versus a single unit. Mm. Um, and, and some of our other partners do that as well. And we, we, we tend to talk to them and say, hey, let's, uh, let's try to optimize your collection program. If not, let's use a retail collection site. And we work with uh, Staples, we work with OfficeWorks in, in Australia, and, and those those retail sites um, help us with those collection programs and, and enable us to, to get more cartridges back. Mm. Yeah, I think these collaborative partnerships can work really well across a whole range of industries. And it definitely feels like the way to go for something that you know is is going to be very expensive to return uh, as a solo item compared to the value of um, the the materials that are left in that. Um, and you know, if you make it easy for the end user to get something back to you, um, then you've got much more chance of of that working successfully. That's right. Yeah. And how do how do you see that playing out in Europe? Is is that is there any collaboration there, or is it just manufacturers doing their own thing? No, there's collaboration. Um, in in France, there's a group called uh, Canibi, which is a consortium of OEMs that uh, it's it's a it's an independent company that's owned by the OEMs, and and that's one of our partners in Europe. Uh, so in that aggregation. Then we we have a plant outside of Antwerp. Uh, we get the material and, and help them go through, uh, discuss what what came through who, and sort out what what valuable items they want back for remanufacturing or part harvest, etc. Mm, great. And what other? Well, we were talking um, earlier about what happens to it at the end of its life. So. Obviously, there's a point at which, you know, it's either become damaged or it's been, um, you know, refilled within a, an inch of its life um, and it's now, f you know, finished as a toner cartridge. What happens to them then? Yeah, so that's that's what recycling is one of the services we provide. Uh, we've we've engineered equipment to handle this this material and we keep working on on our engineering to to create uh, more efficient processes to to recover the products uh it's all about 
pulling out the, the base components of a cartridge. There's plastics, there's metals, there's rubbers, there's toner, um, there's ink, depending on which way we go. And, and with all of that, then we take those base components and try, not, try to find the highest value outcome. So with, with that, we've, for instance, we've taken ink and, and we've worked with a partner uh, to create a flexographic ink. Uh, we funded that solution, but uh, yeah, it's a good outcome for ink as opposed to just trying to uh, use a flocculant, drop out the solids and, and then sewer it. So it's, it, that's, to us, it's a much better outcome because it's getting into a reuse application. And we do that with all the components. The plastic is, is our, our partners are really valuing the plastic to go back into their into their units, um, so we are working hard to get a, a high clean uh, flake or or plastic that then can go back into their their manufacturing lines. Uh, we also have worked with toner. Toner is is one of the reasons we exist. It's a combustible dust. Um, it has inherent risks with it. Um, and we've developed uh, over the course of years, and it's taken many years, and it's taken a lot of collaboration um, with our partner Downer in Australia, an asphalt additive that um, it's not about a horizontal landfill. If it doesn't add value, it's not worth doing. So it's, it's actually adding value. It's replacing uh, raw asphalt or raw bitumen. Um, it's, it's creating, it's changing the chemistry. So it's, it's adding, imparting qualities that are good. Um, and in this uh, additive development, we've also incorporated uh, soft plastics or films. So we work with a collection group called Red Cycle in Australia uh, that works with uh, Woolworth and et cetera, many partners in Australia. And as, as you can see, it takes a lot of collaboration to, to bring all this material together and, and close the loop works as, as the, the intermediary to help develop the, the real world sustainable solutions mm. for these problems. So you're really at the center of a big ecosystem of suppliers and partners, you know, at every stage of the, the plastic and toner supply chain. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really about collaboration. I mean, without it, you, you need a commitment from the producers. You need a commitment from consumers to engage in returning. You need a commitment from the processors to, to solve the problems. Um, and then a commitment back from the, the manufacturers to say, hey, I'll, I'll buy the material back or I'll, I'll reuse the material and, and find the highest value we can. Mm. And are you finding that some of the brands are starting to ask you about how they can make the toner cartridge easier to recycle or easier to disassemble at the end of life? Have you, have you had any kind of, you know, improved design um, breakthroughs from, from the work? We, we have, we are not directly engaged in, in the design of cartridges, um, but we definitely discuss how to recycle them, how to recycle them more efficiently, um, what design changes could be made. That's something that, that we have been in discussions with since um, we've started uh, mm. going through the recycling process. How do you make this easier or make it easier to recover? Because at the end of the day, you wanna be able to, to recover this, this product and, and not have it hit landfill, which is our commitment. Um, waste energy we use as a last resort. So we try to minimize that as much as possible because once you, once you burn that, there's nothing left. Um, so it's really about how do we keep 
plastic in plastic? How do we keep metal in metal, et cetera? Yeah, and I guess more and more, I'm just thinking about that's a really good good quote. Once you've once you've burnt it, it's it's gone. Um, that's <laughs> kind of um, you know. Whilst uh, I I see quite often energy from waste build as a circular economy solution and uh, you know i i don't think it is it's it, as you say it should be the absolute last resort and it should be something a temporary solution till we can find something a better way to to kind of keep it keep it properly in the loop but that vision of you know you burn it and then that's it it's gone is is more that's likely right. to anchor anchor that at, at um you know in people's mind that it's it's not that it's not a circular solution because it's you've you just got rid of it um so um so uh, i mean do you see big differences in the designs between so if if a company's really thought about how are we going to get the value back out of this toner cartridge at the end of its life and we've designed it with that in mind so it's easy to take apart all the materials have got value and so on do you see a big difference between that approach and then a company that's a bit more reluctant and is is kind of ticking boxes and they haven't really put much thought into the design of the cartridge itself well it's a competitive market right so you know when one change happens everybody follows pretty quickly okay uh, so they all look at what each other are doing e yeah absolutely and and so there's other there's other drivers too so the the cartridges could be um higher print volume for instance uh, as as you want to go buy a cartridge you don't want to have to replace it as much or you know whatever the drivers are for design change um, in in this industry there are many um, and recyclability is one of them. certainly recovery or re even remanufacturers uh, you know there some of our partners do a very good job at looking at it and saying hey if i bring this back and how many uses can I get? And and we have we have a particular partner that that has a prescribed number of times that they can they can reuse a a cartridge and it gets marked and we look at them and we see them and and it's a, it's a really great story because that's the best use. I mean it's it's mm. for its intended use, right? It's to take that take that unit and take it back into its intended use. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, great stuff. And um, what about the next phases for? closing the loop what what plans have you got for maybe other products or other other markets countries what's next well we we've been under the radar for the last 17 years uh, working with our our partners um i i think the the print um print market has been ahead of the game in in the circular economy um not only in the consumables but also in their hardware um and for us we we have experience in driving real world solutions, large sustainable solutions. We've, we've done a small pilot program in Australia in cosmetics, uh, the, and we want to take that globally. And it's really about recovering uh, the plastics, et cetera. So cosmetics is mostly packaging. I learned more about cosmetics than I wanted to, but that's okay. Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's about bringing, bringing the value back uh, in those, those things that get discarded. So there's a lot of reasons that a cosmetic company would want to engage with closed loop, which could be uh, brand protection instead of mm. having someone grab that packaging and repackage their own material in it and sell it at that high premium 
um, to actually getting the plastic back. And there's a lot of work being done uh, by some cosmetic companies that say, hey, we really are engaged in the circular economy. We want to bring that plastic back into the manufacturing. We want to bring those parts back in and, and in the supply chain. Mm. Wow. I'd not thought of that. I mean, I'd, you know, I've been reading quite a bit about the, uh, you know, use of technology and so on to try and prove authenticity for, say, high-end fashion and for high-end perfumes and cosmetics. But I was imagining just somebody doing Me Too lookalike products, not kind of getting hold of the packaging and then just refilling it. Um yeah, I guess I guess as soon as you start to think think about it, you think, well, if somebody could do that for toner cartridges and you know sell them under a a different label, why could you not do it and and fake it as as the real thing? That's um, right. Yeah. That's right. And wow. that that so we lower the liability then for our our partners, right? Mm. It, it's about taking that out of the stream and and not allowing that to get into into other markets. Mm. So how are you how are you getting the packaging back from the consumer is there a sort of a, a postal option you know like there used to be with home print cartridges where you with every um new inkjet cartridge or whatever for i think mine used to be hp there was an envelope so you could either post it straight back to hp or there were also charities that would that would uh, you know take them from you how, how does it get back so again, that's a it's a pilot program in Australia, and yeah, it, it's postal um, and or the charities uh, that that aggregate um, and and come back to close the loop. So, you know, as we develop programs, we have to we have to design what makes what makes the most sense. Uh, certainly, um, storefront collection is is always a good option because you've got aggregation there you've got a point of purchase uh, it increases foot traffic uh, as a, from a retail space that's a really good story if you can if you can offer that service uh, it works with cartridges because a lot of people carry their empty cartridge in and and say I'd need to replace this cartridge and then they can put it into a collection point and and uh, you know pick the new one off the shelf, which mm. that's a, that's a great outcome. Uh, those are, those are programs that we, we will develop over the, over the next 10 years um, and, and find those parallel programs that, that fit in the close the loop. Yeah. And I guess another option may be uh, reverse vending machines. I don't know if you've got those yet in the, in the States. Um, there are a few, um, well, more than a few, a few companies doing them um, across Europe for things like uh, batteries and uh, even plastic bottles and so on, where you, you know, it's just like a, a vending machine for sweets or drinks. So you put your, put your whatever back in, you know, your, your empty um, lipstick container or something. And because of all the machine learning developments, it can recognize very quickly a wide range of products, recognize whether it's something that you were supposed to put in the machine and, and are you going to be rewarded for it? Um, and then if you put your card in, you can be rewarded with, you know, money off the next purchase. Um, yeah, cell phones. They yeah. do that. They do that with cell phones right. widespread. So, uh, you know, cell phones is a good remanufactured item as well. Mm. There's a lot of value in a in a, a old cell phone. People not only is the value in remanufacturing it, but there's also value in the precious metals and, and plastics that can come out of those. But cell phones has, is a is a really collected 
highly collected item, mm. at least, you know, globally, actually, because a, a lot of those get remanufactured and end up in, in other markets. Mm. So, well, I think the, the cosmetics thing sounds really interesting because, as you say, there is an awful lot of packaging around cosmetics. So trying to get some of that back into a high value loop would be really good. Yeah, there's a lot of products that will benefit from these processes. And, and we have to, we as, as consumers, we as producers, we as, as processors have to be committed to the recovery of this, these resources. Um, end up in landfill, they're not coming back. But if you take a, a water filter, for instance, water filter has a has carbon black in, it's got a plastic shell, it's highly recoverable. Uh, the carbon can be reconstituted, the plastic can be pulled out and remanufactured. Uh, we need to get awareness, we need people to be committed to, to those uh, endeavors. So that the producers, the large producers uh, have to um, embrace a circular economy. They have to say we're committed to it, and and then we have to have you know everybody collaborating um, in order to get that uh, get that result. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see some traction around that with um, things like the loop packaging um, mm -hmm. system that TerraCycle are putting in. That the you know big brands are getting behind that and seeing a way to engage engage directly with the end user. Um, and um, you know, put put more value into the packaging because it can come back and be refilled over and over again. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's great. And so, um, Tom, what would your top tip be for anybody thinking about taking their business more circular or doing a circular startup right now? Um, it's a it's an interesting market. You have to you have to listen to your partners and and make sure you're you're filling their needs um, and, and not what you think is best. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're if it's not good financially, it's not going to be sustainable. Uh, so, in that, it all takes collaboration. Uh, if nobody can do this on an island, we we all have to work together. There's a a lot of good work being done on, on community levels, on global levels, uh, manufacturing levels that that needs to be learned. We need to learn from each other and and continue to develop the the right processes and recovery programs. Mm, great, and it sounds like that's you know fundamental in the approach that Close the Loop takes. Um, that's with right. Its, with its multiple partners all along the yes. supply chain. Fantastic, and. Do you have a favorite circular economy example or, or somebody else that you'd recommend as a guest for a future podcast? You know, one of our, our partners has been Lexmark over the years and, and um, they, have, they have really pushed the envelope to make sure they, they engage in the circular economy. Uh, there's a gentleman named John Gagel uh, that we've worked with over the years and he, he really likes these high outcomes and i say that because he's he's an hour from us <laughs> south so so we've been been fortunate enough to work with him over the years and and um that's in our industry uh we've we've also there's a uh woman named helen lewis from australia and she's written a book uh product stewardship in action i believe is the name of it and um She's done a case study on Close the Loop. Uh, she's she's been a, a good advocate of what we do. 
And since her book came out, we've developed even even more processes and, and more more outcomes uh, for for the circular economy. You know, the biggest development we've had over the last few years has been the use of the the uh, grocery bags, the the soft plastics coming in in the asphalt additive. So it's a, it's a really good story. Um, it's a value added story. Uh, the the material um, being a, a replacement for asphalt that's being dug out of the ground, et cetera, uh, really, and it's recyclable. So it's, it's endlessly recyclable as asphalt is. Once a road gets ripped up, it goes back into a road, um, which is a really good story. It, it's got a good value added and that's really what closed loop has to do. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. So I'll look her up as well. Tom, how can people find out more about Close the Loop and get in touch? They can find us on the web at www.closethelooposa.com or they can find us on LinkedIn. We have three geographies. There are uh, websites for each geography. So there's one in Europe, one in Australia, and then the one here in the US. Great stuff. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. So, Tom, thank you very much for telling us all about Close the Loop and we wish you the best of luck with the next phase and look forward to seeing lots more innovations to bring packaging and other products back into the loop in the future. Good. Appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Tom. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.